0: If you would take your scriptures, turn them into Romans chapter 4. Romans 4, we'll be reading the entire chapter, verses 1 through 25. Romans 4, would you give ear to the reading of God's word? What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, But not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted as righteousness. Just as David describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sins. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised also? For we say the faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe. Though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. And the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of faith, which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of no effect, because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, So that the promise might be sure to all the seed not only to those who are of the law but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham who is the father of us all as it is written I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him who believed God who gave life to the dead and caused those things which do not exist as though, though they did who contrary to hope believed so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. So shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old in the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in God, in him, who raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Grant, O oh Lord, a discerning spirit to the hearts of your people today. You told us that you change times and seasons, you set up kings and dispose them. You give wisdom and knowledge to those who seek from your word. We are weak people. We need all the help we can get, and we know that help can come only from no one but you. You sent your only begotten Son into this world to reveal your character to us. Open our hearts and help us to know your nature and help us to make it our own. Take this passage before us today and open it for our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our minds to understand. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now we just finished looking at the letter of Paul to the Philippians. Paul wrote that letter in order to encourage the Philippians to live their lives in joy. You remember in Philippians 4.4, he called them to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. He went on in verse 5 to remind them, Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is here. He's with you. Now how can that be? He was sent to the cross where he gave up his life in your place. The only way, the only way he could be here with you today is if he went through a resurrection and an ascension. The resurrection of Jesus is one of the most important theological points of all of Christianity. Without the resurrection, Christianity would be just another dead religion. Offering no hope to man except what he finds in his own imagination. You must understand the place of importance this event holds. But you must also make sure you keep the resurrection in its proper place with the other important points of Christianity. Jesus was sent into this world by God the Father, making his incarnation as God come in the flesh a point that must never be overlooked. If Jesus was not sent by God, then his resurrection has no foundation of fact upon which to stand. Jesus is being sent into this world by God the Father as the God-man. He came with a purpose. He came to do for a man what he could not do for himself. He came and lived the perfect life. Fulfilling everything the law required for a man to enter into God's presence. Without his perfect life, there would never have been a resurrection. No man will ever enter God's presence without a perfect life to show his worth. This gives the resurrection a foundation of purpose. This God-man, Jesus Christ, Lived his life out in full compliance with God's law. But there was more to his purpose than simply living a perfect life. He came to live the perfect life on behalf of all those whom the Father would give him. This lays a foundation of hope for the resurrection. In order to make his perfect life applicable to those the Father had chosen, It was also necessary that Jesus use his perfect life as an atonement for the sins of his people. So when he came to the end of his life, he offered that perfect life on Calvary's cross. He offered it as a sacrifice for the sins of all who would hear his message and believe in his works. In making this sacrifice, Jesus laid the foundation of his resurrection squarely upon the grace of God. If you're going to call yourself Christian, then you have, must believe this resurrection is built upon a foundation made up of those blocks, the blocks that, are, that we're looking at this morning, faith, purpose, hope, and grace. If you leave even one of these out, you have lost the truth of what God is saying to make mankind and doing for his people. You have a foundation that will fail if one block is missing. Another important thing to remember as we begin looking at this wonderful event we call the resurrection is what this resurrection had purchased on our behalf and that is our justification. A justification that comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. As well as the works he did to bring about the salvation of his people. Those works are the things we have just talked about, his incarnation, his perfect life, his atoning death, along with his resurrection victory. You cannot separate out anything that Jesus did without adversely affecting the gospel message to the point of making it completely null and void. The last thing any true believer wants is to take away anything that Jesus did for them in the way of their salvation. The scripture is full of passages that call you as a believer to hear and believe all the scripture teaches about Jesus Christ and all he has done for his people. So, let's examine Romans 4, verses 23 through 25 and learn of the great importance this resurrection carries for us as true believers in Jesus Christ. First, we will study the privilege this resurrection brings into the lost and dying world. Second, we will look into the duty it produces for those who are made a part of this great privilege. Third, we will discover the glorious results that this resurrection produces for all who hear and believe this wonderful gospel message. The apostle, in the close of this chapter, having abundantly proved that Abraham was justified by faith, applies the same principle to all believers. He declares, he declares this to be the pattern for everyone's justification. He says, how it now it was not written for his sake alone. And that's an important point. He wants you to know, this is not simply a historical declaration about Abraham. This applies to all of us. In verse 11, he explains, and he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of of the faith again this didn't just apply to Abraham it applied to everyone who believes in Jesus Christ you are saved by faith by believing in Jesus Christ and all that has been written about him in his word 1 Corinthians 10:11 now all these things happened to them the Old Testament saints as examples and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the end of the ages have come. Now Paul makes it very clear. All this about salvation, our justification by faith alone, was written that we might have assurance of this wonderful righteousness by which God has saved us. As people who are wicked and evil, Gentiles and Jews, we receive the blessing of justification in the same way Abraham did. We receive the seal of righteousness by faith, by believing in God. This means there is a common privilege in this for all, for all who will hear and believe on Jesus Christ. Verse 23. Now, it was not for his sake alone that it was imputed to them. It was imputed to Abraham, or if you will, it was credited to him, Which refers to the righteousness he received. Because he believed God. And it was also for us. For all who followed Abraham in faith. Remember we have talked about this a number of times. Faith simply put is believing God. It's no more difficult than that. If you believe God you have faith. Because it takes faith to believe God. Abraham had faith. Listen to Hebrews 11.11. I'm reading from the NIV. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. Abraham believed God. There's nothing hard hard about this. He simply believed what God told him. When you believe God, then he imputes to you this same righteousness the righteousness of Jesus Christ we have already said the foundation of fact is that Jesus was sent by God the Father into this world that's a fact nobody can deny he came he's here we have the historical evidence that he was here listen to John 6 29 this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. Without this belief in God, Jesus, as the one sent from the Father, you have absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing upon which to understand the resurrection and its power in your life. The fact that Jesus came into the world, entering it as a child of flesh, shows first the need of those in this world. We had a great need. We were lost in sin. If they couldn't have saved themselves, why would Jesus have needed to come and take on flesh and blood? He could have simply revealed to them the things they needed to do through the law. Oh, wait a minute. He already did that. We call it the covenant of works. Man was created to serve and obey God given a place before him and a service to perform. He was provided a place to live and a time for fellowship with his creator. But man was not satisfied with a role of service. He wanted more. He wanted to be like God. In fact, he didn't want to owe anyone anything. So what did he do? He rebelled. Man rejected the privilege he was given of being a reflector of the glory of God. He turned away from God and followed after his own imaginations. And he was plunged into the pit of absolute despair and hopelessness. But God, being a gracious and merciful God, was not about to allow all of his creation to be lost to sin and death. He prepared one to come into this world in the body of a man to fulfill the covenant of works completely. He prepared a foundation of purpose in this one and sent him into this world. There is a privilege still alive for you because of Jesus Christ coming into this world. It is the privilege of becoming one with God, the privilege to know the grace of God in your life. Where do you find this privilege? You find it in the same place, And in the same way, Abraham found it by believing God, committing your life to follow him and his word. Those who do will know and live in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Along with this common privilege that belongs to every believer, there's also a common duty. The proper object of your believing is to be a divine revelation. In other words, You have to know something that God has promised in order to be able to believe it. You can't believe something you've never heard of. You've got to hear. You've got to have something in your mind that tells you about it to be able to believe in it. Romans 10, 13 through 15, again from the NIV. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they're sent? Believing in Jesus Christ is extremely important to everyone who calls themselves a Christian. While it's true, believing is not what saves you. Believing is what marks you as one of God's children. You must show that you have faith. And that means you must show that you believe in Jesus Christ as who he claims to be, your Savior. In this, we see the revelation Abraham was to believe in that the Messiah was coming. You, For you, the revelation is that Christ has already come. We have a lot better revelation than Abraham did. Verse 24 starts... With these words. But also for us. It shall be imputed to us. Who believe in him. Who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. Paul puts this in the future. God shall impute. This is to show that everyone. Everyone. Both those in the past and those in the future. Those who look to Jesus Christ and to him alone. Will be saved. This is to show that everyone. Everyone can trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't that wonderful? That's one of the greatest things in Scripture. You read that verse. If you'll believe and trust in Christ and in Christ alone, not in Christ in the church you go to, not in Christ in the ministry you sit under, not in Christ in the works you do, but it's Christ in Christ alone. How will you know to believe in Jesus? How are you going to know to do this? Someone will tell you they have to tell you. Once you hear, you will understand the work God has done in your heart. What What is that work? He changed your heart of stone to a heart of flesh. He prepared you to hear and believe. There will be no one in heaven who has not heard and believed on Jesus Christ. Then someone might ask, What about infants dying before they can hear and understand? Well, our God is a just God. And when he has changed the heart of one, even still in the womb, and calls them home before they can hear and know, they will open their eyes in heaven and express the faith placed in them by the Holy Spirit. In this understanding of covenant theology, we depend on God's grace and mercy, never on the actions of God of man Abraham and all of the Old Testament peoples were looking forward to the coming of Jesus Christ thus they showed their faith by trusting in this one who was coming to save their souls by the perfect fulfillment of God's law today all of God's people are looking back to the perfect work of Jesus Christ in his life as a believer today you stand on the foundation of hope That Jesus Christ did everything required to produce your salvation. You also look forward to what he earned for you by his death on the cross. This is the foundation of grace that all believers come to stand upon and trust. Jesus Christ, in fulfilling the covenant of works, had to live the perfect life in order that he would have something of value to offer God. In the place of the sins of his people. Abraham looked forward to this foundation of grace. And was given pictures of it in the sacrifices he made. What he was looking forward to was his justification. That his sins were forgiven and forgotten. This is the same thing for which you look back to Jesus and his atonement. The last half of verse 24 says. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Abraham believed God. He believed God could raise up a son for him, even though he and Sarah were beyond childbearing age. He also believed that God could even raise that son from the dead, if he needed to, to fulfill his word. So Abraham was not afraid to obey God and offer Isaac as a sacrifice. To Abraham, resurrection was a very real thing. He believed God could and would raise to him, to life, any who trusted in him. Now, as we saw last week, Paul was equally convinced of the power of Christ's resurrection because of his Damascus Road experience. He laid out the facts that made this resurrection stand out as much as a glorious truth and ground for the Christian faith. That's what this is. 1 Corinthians 15, 4 through 8. That he was buried, and that he arose again from the third day according to the scripture, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by by the twelve, After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of date. This fact, all of these facts, are ground for our understanding of the resurrection. Paul laid it out. He saw it. On that Damascus road. The Christian faith cannot stand apart from these truths. You need to hold them tight. You need to see your duty to them. Your duty as one who names the name of Jesus Christ. Is to believe the same thing. Believe what Paul believed. You must believe God. You must believe in this one sent from the father. You must believe that he lived the perfect life needed to redeem his people. You must believe he offered that life as an atonement for your sins. And you must believe that he defeated the grave and death by his resurrection. We come now to find the heart of what the resurrection of Christ is all about. Verse 25. Who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. I remember once going to a community services a group of them for a whole week they were celebrating Easter week it was a multi-denominational group I went because I wanted to see what other churches were hearing regarding the resurrection of our Lord I was extremely disappointed I heard very little about sin even in the hymns they sang and many of them they skipped the verses that dealt with sin how can you preach on the resurrection and your sin? Without a proper understanding of sin, the resurrection has no meaning. It has no purpose. Paul makes that clear in this verse. He lays the foundation of grace again. He, Jesus, was delivered up for our offenses. It was God the Father who delivered him. He was kidnapped. He wasn't kidnapped by men. He wasn't made to pay this terrible price. He did it at the request of the Father in heaven. He did it for you. Yes, Jesus went to Calvary's cross. Yes, he died there as a malefactor, as one who is guilty of sin. It was not his own sin. It was your sin. It was my sin. It was the sin of all of his people. Without this death for sin, the resurrection makes absolutely no sense. Why would Jesus die if it was not to do something of benefit for his people? He died to expiate your sins. that means to free you from your guilt. He became a propitiation for your sins. and that means to deal away with the punishment of your sin. Christ took on your guilt and punishment. He paid the price for them. To free you from the punishment of those sins. He died on Calvary's cross that your sins might be cast into the sea of forgetfulness. Done away with. He died to pay the price for your sins that you could never afford to pay yourself. He died on Calvary's cross that God's wrath against you might be appeased. We're just saying the hymn, Rock of Ages, clear for me. The first verse says, Rock of ages, cliff for me, let me hide myself in thee. For the water and blood, for thy riven side which flowed, be it of sin the double cure, cleanse me from its guilt and power. The only reason Jesus' shed blood can cleanse you is because of his resurrection. It is his return to the Father that makes his death a cure for your sin. The wonderful part of this is that it cures everything. It both expiates or takes away the guilt of your sins. It propitiates or wipes away the punishment of your sin. Both are required for you to be reestablished in a relationship with your creator. When you think about the resurrection, you must not separate it from everything else Jesus did. The resurrection is what makes everything else come alive with meaning. But there is a warning in this. You need to be sure that your focus is on what Jesus came to do and not on what he endured to accomplish this work. It upsets me greatly. When I hear people talking about the physical suffering of Jesus on the cross as though it were the cure of their sins. Yes, his suffering was terrible. There's no doubt about that. It was great. It was painful. But physical suffering is there only as a picture to help you understand the spiritual agony. It represents the agonies of hell. That agony he suffered in being separated from his father, be it only for a few moments. Jesus suffered eternal death in your place. Eternal separation. Eternal death is separation from God. You're totally cut off. It is what you deserve because of your rebellion against God. This also should make His resurrection all the more precious to you because without His resurrection, you would be absolutely, you'd have absolutely nothing. Nothing to hold, look forward to, nothing to hold on to, but uh, an eternity of death. That's all you're facing without Christ's resurrection. This also should make his resurrection all the more precious to you because without his resurrection, you have lost everything. Jesus went to the cross. He went to the cross to take upon himself your sins and the punishment for your sins, separation from God, eternal death. All the terrible things done to him at his crucifixion only show the true depth of man's rebellion against God And the true sinfulness of his heart. The real issue before you is the separation he endured for his father in your place. Look at what Paul says next. He was raised because of our justification. Jesus was raised for the perfection, for the the completion of your justification. He paid your debt by the merits of his death. In his resurrection, he took himself, upon himself, your acquittance. As he lay in his grave, he represented you in your imprisonment. He became your surety, the only key to your escape. On the third day of his imprisonment, an angel was dispatched to roll away the stone that held him captive. That was his discharge, and it was yours. This shows to all who will look that divine justice was satisfied. The debt was paid in full. How could he have been released if he had committed the terrible crimes for which he was sentenced, unless everything was completely atoned for? How could he be freed from death without the proper atonement? Paul puts a great emphasis on this resurrection. Because he knows its place of importance in the life of everyone who believes. He shows the results of this resurrection in Romans 8:34. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore, it is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for me. The ties, the incarnation, This ties the incarnation, the perfect life, the atoning death, the resurrection victory. Ties it all up in a nice neat package. Jesus is the one sent by the Father to do for his people what they could never do for themselves. He came, lived the perfect life, died the atoning death, won the resurrection victory. Took his place at the Father's right hand and daily, daily intercedes for us. My friends. There's one thing you must see and understand in all of this. You are not in any way saved by anything in and of yourself or through your own efforts. You are saved only by faith and trust in Christ and the works he did on your behalf. It is Jesus and his perfect righteousness that is the foundation for your life. I hope and pray. Everyone here this morning, Can see and understand this wonderful resurrection. Understand it as the foundation. Of all of your hopes. Without this resurrection. There's nothing. Absolutely nothing for you to look forward to. But an empty eternity. If you have not considered the power of this resurrection. Then I call you to stop and do so right now. Please. Do not be deceived into thinking you have enough worth in and of yourself to bargain your way into heaven because this resurrection clearly says you do not have any such worth. Please do not believe you can earn anything from God by your works because this resurrection says you cannot. Please do not think you can purchase your ticket to heaven with money because this resurrection says that is absolutely impossible. What this resurrection does say that's very positive is that everyone, everyone who will see themselves as sinners, lost and without hope in and of themselves, can be saved. He came into this world at the request of God the Father. He entered this world just as all of us entered it, as as a helpless infant. He lived out his life in this world in perfect submission to God's law. He fulfilled everything required for man to come into the presence of God. He offered that life as an atonement on Calvary's cross for the sins of everyone who would call on his name. He went into the grave and defeated death that he might offer to all who would follow him eternal life. He went into heaven to take his place at the Father's right hand. To ensure that everyone the Father had given him would find their way to heaven. Dear people. This is the gospel message. This is the foundation of hope for everyone who believes. This is the power of Christ's resurrection. Please, please hear it. Take hold of it. For it is the only way to come into the Father's presence. You remember John fourteen six. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You must understand the resurrection is what makes this verse come alive. Without the resurrection, Jesus would never have been able to add the last of this verse. No one comes to the Father except through me. If Christ were not raised and seated at the Father's right hand, there could be no hope, no life, no fellowship with God, no salvation, but just death and emptiness. Please. Don't go away from here today without searching your heart. Jesus came into this world from God the Father to do for you what you could never do for yourself. Open your eyes and see this wonderful work of God. Open your ears and listen to the great message of hope. Open your heart and believe in the resurrection of this one sin to bring salvation to this people, to his people in this world. Today is the day of salvation. Right now is the moment of salvation. Hear this gospel so it can come into your heart and change your life. Hear the voice of the angel that stood by the open tomb. He's not here. He is risen. Let's pray. Father, we know you by your determined purpose and knowledge. Put Christ on the cross to pay for our sins. Then you raised him up, defeating death because it was not possible that death could hold him. We thank you, Father, with all of our heart for this glorious resurrection. This is our hope and the ground for our life here on earth and in heaven. Grant unto us the courage to stand on this glorious truth. Give strength to our heart and stamina to our witness that we might help others to make the Lord Jesus Christ their foundation through his resurrection. You bless us through this resurrection and give us hope for our future. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.